Welcome to the Next Level Show, where we talk with people behind Next Level ideas, products and technology changing the world around us. I'm Lubo Smith, the co-founder and CEO of STRV. And my guest today is Brand Annals, the CMO of Smart Token Labs, a trailblazing company that is at the forefront of shaping the future of blockchain tech and tokenization. In this episode, we discuss the role of marketing in the Web3 space, Smart Token Labs' approach with pushing for blockchain adoption, and insights from brands' go-to-market and branding experience with the giants like Facebook and Uber. So let's dive right in. All right, Brent, we are rolling. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Luba. Really looking forward to chatting. All right, let's dive right in. I know that you have a great history of what you have gone through over the many, many years. Ex-Uber, ex-Facebook, have seen Web 1, Web 2, Web 3 now. You have experienced it all. And I'm very much looking forward to dive into all of your experience from media and tech and how you saw things evolving pretty much. Terrific. Yeah, I look forward to answering Uh, any questions you might have. (laughs) What was it like to see so many changes in in the tech and media space? Yeah, it's a good question. What was it like? Look, I guess what it's reinforced over time is that, you know, as everything changes, most things stay the same you know, at, at some fundamental level as these new changes of technological-based innovation come through, there's always lots of a wave of confusion. There's always a wave of hype. There's always the new guard thinking the old guard don't get it, don't understand it. The new guard always considers that they now have the golden pill for, or the golden bullet for answering all, all of the world's thorny questions and, and the old guard doesn't believe that's true. And, uh, you know, throughout all of that, some really simple principles always stay the same, you know. Complexity never works. You need simplicity. You need single-minded value propositions. You need to understand your buyer, and and you need to make well-informed big bets. Is my experience. What were some of the principles that you really adopted throughout your career that you think are still relevant up until today? Mm, look, I, I I consider that. Um, I mean, my experience is really in the area now of go-to-market and go-to-market for sort of early to mid-stage companies. And it's really focused around marketing, business development partnerships. And throughout all of that, really the the thing that I think I've become better at over time is making complex things simple. And I think that's a universal truth. If 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 you can't land your value proposition in 30 seconds, if you can't um, you know do a pitch in an elevator in, in 60 seconds, if you can't, you know, I, I, I like to use the analogy of a sandwich board outside a shop as people walk by, right? If you can't get your your prop on a sandwich board that's compelling enough for someone to walk in that store and have a look, you're probably not going to win in today's world because it's the same as mobile newsfeed, right? People walk past in an instant, they get, they've get they got a nanosecond to sort of get interested or not get interested. And if you can't land that, you, you're not going to win in today's world. Yeah, the attention span that you can get from people these days is only getting smaller and smaller. So hmm. you need to find ways how to attract them real quick, right? Yeah, yeah, that's remained true through time. So is that something that you have been adopting throughout, you know, many, many engagements and many, many companies that you have worked for throughout your careers that you would always look at? How do we simplify and how do we help pitch our product or service in the simplest way possible? Mm, Yeah, like 100%. So like, you know, the first thing is, 
you need to be able to describe what you do in a simple way that people can understand quickly. Right? If you can't pass that, that's people get caught up in all sorts of layers around, you know, brand and mission and values and statements and, and purpose and all that sort of thing, right? But if you if you can't say, you know, like at Smart Token Labs, we make tokens smart and we make it easier for very large scale Web two companies to bring tokenization into their business. Right? That's the starting point, right? If if you can't get that across in its simplest form. Then, then you've got a real problem. I think beyond that, um, my, 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 my driving thing is and my, my universal experience is people, people buy in technology and in B2B in a similar way to how they buy in B2C. They buy on emotion and they buy ideas. So when you try and sell strategies and complicated stuff, you just you lose a room really quick. If you can't wrap something in an idea and a pithy idea, then that, that motivates people, it gets them sort of up out of their seat a little bit, then you're really going to struggle. And I, I've had that experience again and again and again in, in tech companies over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And like that's the way how I like to be selling. It's through the emotions and through the big picture rather than through the nitty-gritty details and numbers, right? Because that's that's the fun part of it, at least from my standpoint. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'll give you. I can give you an example if you like. When I joined Facebook back in two thousand thirteen, Facebook was. Just, I joined as a sales leader, and you know they were just evolving into a media business. And you know what? I, what I found is that it was far more effective to turn up to a client like Canon, you know, who produces cameras, um, DSLRs, and when pitching them, it was far more powerful to sell, sell an idea of sunsets rather than sell a multi, multi-layered multi strategy about how it's going to use personalized targeting at scale to, to win with audiences on Facebook. So sunsets is an idea that basically says, look, nobody cares about cameras anymore, right? Nobody cares about your DSLR because everybody's now got a camera in their, phone, in their pocket on their phone and it's really good. And so the only time that your camera shines is in low light conditions and one of those is sunsets. And I'm going to help you to own own newsfeed in sunsets on Facebook, and that's how we're going to turn brand perception around for your business, right? And so the whole then you then you give them 45 slides on how you do that, but you galvanize them around this idea of sun. The idea is sunsets, and you're going to own sunsets, right? And that that just I found that time and time the advertising agencies are. I worked in some advertising agencies for a while. They're, they're incredibly good at doing this. And I, again and again, I found that is the single most powerful way. Like name your idea, turn your strategy into an idea, name it. You just use between sort of like one and four words, no more, right? and then be able to tell a little story about it to bring it to life. And you do also have a lot of experience from go-to-market strategies. And like, I'm pretty sure that your suggestion would be a lot different for you know different kinds of products and services. But uh, what was your favorite go-to market approach for a new product being launched? What's kind of your master plan uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that you tend to follow? If there is something like that, but I believe that from your experience, you do have a good level of understanding on what ne- what needs to happen for a good go-to market strategy. And that's something that not just myself, but I'm pretty sure a lot of other founders tend to struggle with quite a bit. So I would love to pick up your brain on like, what do you think makes a killer go-to market strategy? Mm. 
Well, I think, you know, at, at the core is, is the idea of momentum. And so how are you going to really go to market is about how do I move from one sale to 10? And then how do I move from 10 to 100? And you know, very different things. And really, the, the idea of one to 10 is starting to become repeatable. So it, it's, there's some really basic stuff about like understanding your buyer and, and all that sort of thing, right? Which, which we all struggle with at times. And sometimes you only, find, you only understand your buyer by pressing the flesh and, and getting in market. But, you know, then when, you, when you're grappling all that stuff and all the levers that you can pull, one of the things that I've seen work best is, is kind of this, I guess, like a playbook idea. Uber is unbelievable at it. You know, the, the, the special source at Uber was they cracked these playbooks for how they could set up in markets around the world. And they basically had a playbook that said, I can set up in a, in a country like Australia or in a market like Sydney and I can put, I can go and find someone who's got five to seven years of experience and they're, they're going to be an MBA, they're going to be an MBA student and they're going to have worked in, in the real world for five to seven years. Right. So they're, they're, they're analytical, they're bright. They've got some real-world experience, but they're not overwhelmed by it. They're young, they're ambitious. And I'm going to put them into a business where they basically have to start from scratch in a city where they have to you know, d- deliver on the demand and supply side of the business. They have to onboard drivers. They have to onboard riders. They have to onboard them at a, at a comparable clip. Um, they have to deal with regulatory things. They have to deal with politicians. They, they will be on the news you know, confronting very difficult questions. They'll be facing, um, you know, blockades in the street from taxi drivers. They will potentially have taxi drivers turning up to their office, putting bricks through the window, right? And you've got to hire a team around all this. So you've got to do all of these things. And what they worked out is that over time, they could template how this worked and they could put someone with that level of experience into that role with a team of two people around them. And they every single situation that they could encounter was captured in playbooks. And so as they went from one city to 400 cities around the world, they had this model, right, of the repeating things that happened and they, w- they could apply them to any market and they could cons- consistently onboard these people with this level of experience to do quite amazing jobs. These people would end up running a business that was had a billion dollars worth of revenue running through it within two to three years. It's quite remarkable when you think about it. So that's a, it's quite a generalized answer, but what, what I look for is that in go-to-market is what are the things that you can start to build or as you go from 1 to 10 to 100 that are repeatable and that, 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 that start to build us with momentum so that we're not just going to get to scrape to 10, we're going to push through 10 because we started to build out around, around that. Yeah, that's the impressive part that like, you know, you can make it repeatable that if you power through once, then you build the process so you can 10x that. And once you 10x that, you learn from it. And as you mentioned, you build a playbook and you can 100x that. And uh, that to me is very, very impressive and seems like you have seen it firsthand. So it's great to kind of get a, the behind the scene look into how leveraging these playbooks works for, for these big docs. Yeah, I'll give you one other, one other piece of the puzzle for that, I think, is, is the idea of big bets and the idea of focus. And so what I see a lot of is the, the other side of that coin is, is this sort of engineering MBA mindset, right, that I can test and learn and iterate to find the answer. Right? And you can test and learn and iterate in a quantitative way, which feels like science, right, with some things. And you can do it when you've got a lot of volume running through your experiments. So it's easy for Facebook to do it when it's got 100 million users. 
and it's trying to test features. But when you're in go-to-market phase, right, people think that I'm just going to – I'll get someone who knows how to run experiments. If they're telling me running experiments, it feels like it's it's data-driven, therefore it's a good process, right? It's It's really not like that. You actually have to make – you can only execute five things in a quarter, let's say, that, that could have a material impact on getting momentum. Right? If you try and do 20 things, you're going to fail for sure. Right? And you won't have perfect data on whether those five things are the, are the best five things to test. But if you don't go through and do them thoroughly, all five are going to fail and you'll never know. So I think there's that, that intuitive piece that goes with the data piece, which, you know, that, that it takes as much discipline to not do things as to do things. It takes as much discipline. For me, focus is a big bet. And you don't see, that's where I see a lot of startups, they get a bit of momentum and they're excited and they get some money. They made some some Series A money or maybe Series B money. Maybe they have $30 million in the bank. And suddenly they're paralyzed because they don't want to do the wrong thing. But they're still, they have to make big bets if they're going to win. Yeah, that's 100% right. And I have seen it all around that having a lot of money sitting on your bank account does not necessarily have to be a good thing because then you are forced to spend it. And if you just blast through it and you don't really pick up a whole lot of traction, then like it's a, it's a missed opportunity. So it does not always have to be the very positive thing to to have big budgets and everything like that you still have to think about it like very carefully do you think that in the very early stages of building a product or building a startup that it's important to bet on intuition a lot more than on the hardcore data or you feel like even like the the small pointers in terms of data feedback that you get could be could be valuable. It's mm. uh, a good question. It varies so much by industry type. I mean, I, th- I think so. A- as an example, right? You, you you would never back an enterprise sales startup, right? That has a product for an enterprise vertical. If, if one of the founders is not an absolute expert in that enterprise vertical. So let's just say they're, they're building technology for telcos, right? And, and, and three, three people get together and spin up this amazing thing and they've got some traction. If one of them, at least, hasn't worked inside a telco for 15 or 20 years, because this is enterprise sales we're talking about here, right? So you, you still, no matter how good the product is, you've got a sales cycle and it's an enterprise sales cycle, right? So there's a hundred moving variables in that. So unless... You have someone who has just been there and done it in that enter- enterprise vertical, right? You're never going to win, is my experience. So I think that's that's an example where you know the you you just you do, you will never know what you don't know. So you might see this hole in a process that that says your product's going to solve this problem for them, but if you don't know how they buy or what their sales cycles are, or how you, how you get knocked out and how or how you, how you get a start get a seat at the starting table, right? You you. Your chances of success are almost zero. So that that's heavily driven by practical real world experience, and it, and it's more it's much more intuition based. Based, you can come with another founder who's quite analytical and product driven, and 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 brings you that part of it. But but in that case, you definitely need that experience. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. That you know, coming in with a lot of experience into a tough market is always hugely beneficial. That's for sure. Mm. Well. What I would love to talk about also is your latest endeavor, and that's Smart Token Labs. 
and what you are doing there. I would love to first ask you, like, what kind of led you to Web3? What was the what was the interest that you saw there? I don't know. I guess I just like I've been I've been I've been in Web3 now for a couple of years, I guess, and I was coming out of fintech and it was pretty clear that that that, that you know the elements of the technology behind you know web3 blockchain decentralized ledger you know bitcoin smart contracts it, it had the potential to be like this really truly disruptive wave of innovation and so i felt like it was a good time to get involved and and then yeah i, I mean i just got approached about a couple of jobs to be honest and and i didn't really know much about web3 at that point and i i just immersed myself in in learning by you know, I went through this three-month interview process on two different jobs. It took forever to, to interview with them, and, and while I was doing that, I I just did my own learning, and then I joined the, the I did a kernel fellowship, which is run by Gitcoin, and that was an amazing experience. So I did I did that accelerator program while I was interviewing, and that that really got got the bug and got me enough enough understanding to be dangerous, and and then I joined <laughs> Smart Token Labs. I so so like. I, I talk a lot with people about Web3 from the technology standpoint, but I think now having you on the show, it's a great opportunity for me to tap into more of the marketing approach, right? What do you think is are the differences in Web3 marketing and how, how do you approach it? Hmm. Well, so in some ways, I don't approach it that differently. I mean, I think, I think there's a bit of a misnomer there has historically been a bit of a misnomer on on Web three marketing, in my view, based on the first phase. You know, and the first the first wave of tokenization really has been driven by tokens as asset, and they're speculative, and it's currencies and collectibles, and and basically you have this marketing dynamic where you're trying to find you know incentivized believers in your project or protocol based on the token, and so. You know, do they really care about the about the project or the protocol and what it could do, or do they, are they just motivated by the token price? You know, and then even when you move into collectibles and some of the NFT wave and craze, you know, people seem to be amazingly passionate about the communities they were in around these NFTs while the token price is up, but when the token price is down, suddenly less passionate. They're gone. They're less, they're less passionate about it. So I, I think. <laughs> I think there was a whole misnomer, right, that the fundamental idea of community has changed with what happened in Web3. And I've seen, I guess, eight different forms of what community is meant to mean in marketing over the last 25-plus years. So I, I think, you know, for us, like, like we're, you know, we, we, we're a technology company. We're building a, a decentralized services network called SmartLayer. We, we've been building smart token technology for six years, and we have a very different view of what, tokenization is about and it's based on tokens much more analogous to apis or applications than assets so it's enabling tech to solve integration problems in web 2 so coming at it from that perspective right then it starts to become quite a familiar marketing challenge it's like well the whole market sees tokens as tradable assets as speculative things um you need to shift the the paradigm to this idea of tokens as as new integration points for the web that's a whole different type of conversation and the marketing role there becomes one of sort of trying to meet the market where it is like i i don't think you know that the 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 risk is that you try and say okay so i therefore need to educate the market right and i just don't believe in that with new technology i just think if you're trying to educate you can't sell 
right? And new tech needs to be experienced. It can't be explained. So, you know, we're, we're one of those interesting things where we have to actually find ways to meet the market where it is and resist the urge to try and try and educate everybody on where we think it's going. And, and so we've had to take, you know, our marketing is, frankly, we've had to take it pretty slow because the market hasn't until just about now sort of lined up around this idea that tokens are, could be a new digital primitive that actually fulfill a completely different function in addition to what's been done to this point. Yeah, like the, the perspective that I wanted to ask you about is kind of a, a limited knowledge of the general population about the technology, right? You interact with something that is extremely technical. And if you go into the nitty gritty details, then it's very hard to explain and people will not get it. And as you mentioned earlier with the sandwich board, like if you want to highlight the technical details, you will never be able to put it on that board. Like it, like there is no chance. And when you are mentioning that you want people to experience it, that's for me something that is very natural. That like if people can experience it in a very easy way, then they will become users and then maybe in the retrospective, they will start looking up more information about the technology on the background. Do I understand it correctly that this is kind of the approach that you are taking? Yeah, I mean, yeah, to a large degree. And we, so we're, our technology, so I'll give you an example through a project that we've just done, which is called CatchMax. And it's a, it's a tokenized membership for a, for, a, for a big sports star in Australia and throughout Asia called Glenn Maxwell. He's a cricket player. So cricket's a big sport throughout India and the subcontinent and into England. And he's one of the top five global cricket players. And we created a, 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 a tokenized membership pass for his fans. He's got a lot of fans. He's got 10 million followers on social media. And what we're trying to do with this whole project is bring cricket fans closer to him and closer to the game and the ecosystem around the game, right, through this, this, this digital membership program that involved a tokenized pass. Now, what we did is we, we used off-chain tokens instead of on-chain tokens for this. So instead of NFTs, we used this thing called off-chain tokens, which are at stations. And so you could get a pass. And you could be linked to your email address. And when you created the pass, it was just like building out your own NFT, right? You had dozens and dozens of backgrounds and different pictures of him and different accessories and different flags. So you could customize this pass, one of thousands of different possible variations of the pass, and create it. And when you create it, it creates an off-chain token linked to your, your Web2 identity, right? And then that gets stored in your browser. And then we basically had like a dozen or so partners that were lined up against this membership program that would give you discounts on cricket bats, discounts on on cricket gear. You could get preferential treatment and access to games, preferential ticket access, all the stuff that sort of feels like token gating. It was a bit more sophisticated than that. But basically, if you think about it like token gating, so I've now got this token it's linked to my email address. It's stored in my web browser or then in my Google or Apple Pay wallet. And when I visit those websites with, that have those special offers for me, they all get unlocked because it recognizes I've got the token, right? But as a user, all I know is I'm a member of CatchMax and when I turn up to this website, I get personalized offers because it recognizes I'm a member of CatchMax. Right? And so that basically all we're trying to do is onboard cricket players, cricket, cricket fans, 
right? We weren't trying to find the intersection of cricket fans and Web3 fans. We were just trying to find cricket fans. And then the subset that are Web3 fans could go on and mint their pass as an NFT. And if they wanted to put it on chain, they could. And if they wanted to trade it on chain, they could. But you don't need to do any of that. And you've got a cryptographic proof of your membership, which unlocks all these benefits and features. So that's a, an example of, we think, of how you remove these barriers up front, you open up the aperture so everyone can participate, they get the benefits of tokenization without having to understand it, they can use all their current tech. And then as they want to, if they want to go further into it and do things on chain that are valuable, like trade the cards, then they can. Do you feel that there is a particular technology missing that would allow you to make this experience unified across the board? Because you mentioned that some parts of it are off-chain. The Web3 enthusiasts, they can mint it on-chain. What do you think is needed so it could all be on-chain, but it will function in a very accessible manner so even a person not familiar with all the crypto jargon would be able to interact with that? Well, I mean, we, you know, we've been building this program called Smart Token Technology for six years, which is which is kind of designed to do all that. So it's a it basically enables you to put a a programmable interface around a token, and it basically can connect then the token that's in that's in the user's wallet, and that can be in a Web three wallet or it can be in a Google wallet. That token can can hold data, but can also hold portable business logic or or website function logic, and that can be transported to wherever you go. And so basically that. Smart token connects to the on chain, so it connects to the smart contract layer. It connects to the chain, and where required, that functionality can be accessed. But then it connects into Web two and web service providers, so that then that token functionality can be actioned in web by Web two service providers to unlock all sorts of user experiences. So that's our our approach to it is the underlying smart token technology, which we're now taking to market through Smart Layer, which is a decentralized service network. So that's how that's that's what we see as the, the future. And do you also think about how people could technically interact with that in real life if they are members? How do they make sure that they can also redeem some of their benefits throughout in real life experiences rather than you know having the token saved in their browser and leveraging it online? Uh, our, our main focus is, I mean, so. So the smart token technology that we've built can can interface with any system. So any 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 Web two system can it can be, and that includes point of sale systems. So it's possible to do that. Our focus hasn't been that. Our focus has been on web services. So so we're we're looking to you know create end to end experiences around a travel experience based on holding a, a an airplane ticket. You know, and and American Airlines will tokenize the airline ticket, and then the airline ticket will inter that tokenize inter airline ticket that you hold as the user will be able to integrate into the hotel booking site or the car rental site or the travel insurance site or the events and attraction sites and those sites will recognize things about you that 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 are held in the airplane ticket so they'll they'll recognize who you are when you're traveling what destination you're flying to when you arrive um what what membership status you are what traveler status you are whether you're a premium economy flyer or business flyer Um, and then they'll be able to dynamically, um, for example, if your if your flight's delayed by more than 12 hours, then the hotel booking site will be able to dynamically update your booking based on the token that you've interfaced with them on. And that that's passing all of that to the user and enabling the user to go and interact with those services. 
And so, like as as you are very close to big brands leveraging uh, this technology, what do you think are are some of the trends that the big guys are thinking about how to how to leverage Web three, how to leverage different kinds of tokens for their benefit? What's kind of the the forward looking trend? And I don't really wanna be diving deeper into collectibles or PFPs or other things that I feel are the things of the past. But how are the big, legit brands thinking about the future of Web3 from your perspective? Well, I think the simplest, the simplest answer to that is that they are looking to, they need, they, they, they get the idea that NFTs, as an example, uh, can, can be a proof of fandom and they can, they can be valuable in, in, in proving fandom to a brand, whether that's Starbucks or Coca-Cola or, or, you know, or an artist like Taylor Swift. And then they can, in simple ways, be used to unlock benefits and experiences. So they're, they're quite attuned to that. But the fundamental question that they're all asking today and they're being asked by their, by their managers is, how do I make this applicable to the entire user base? The Web3 user base is too small. So I can't, yeah, so I can't build a business case. I can't build a business case around material business impact by doing this stuff. So how does how do I open up the aperture? If I'm going to do this and I'm going to have the benefits of, for example, verified fandom, right, how can that be applied to all of my customers or all of my potential customers? How do you open up the aperture so that more people can be involved? That's that's a single we we, we interviewed 14 of the biggest brands in Web3 about six months ago. One-on-one interviews with the key decision makers, the you know, I can't name them, but you would know every single one of them, and <laughs> and they also that was the number one point for all fourteen of them. I have to I have to go broader than a Web three audience. I, I believe in the tech, and I believe that things like Verify Fandom are going to have huge value to us. But I need to I need to broaden it out so it's applicable to everyone. Otherwise, I'll never build a business case. Like from my perspective, the only way that there is ever going to be a bigger adoption of Web3 is when people start putting labeling things and when we only look at the use cases and yeah. we totally forget about the tech. The tech is for the engineers to handle. Uh, the yeah. tech is for us end users not to worry about. And I feel like, and I say it over and over again, I feel like we are too much pushing the tech side of things rather than focusing on what is the added value for the end user? What's the experience like, right? And that's the split between are you addressing the masses versus are you addressing the Web3 crowd that for some reason is very tuned to be receptive to hearing about the details of the smart contract and the all of that stuff. But when it comes to the general population, right, no one really cares about that. The only thing that people care about, if I'm a fan of one particular brand and I want to be associated with that, show me an easy way how I can participate in something, how I can support and how I can get something in return. And it doesn't have to be monetary. It could be something more of a sentimental value but i think that's where the that's where the magic happens yeah 100 and i think i think if you you know 
again, like we have a specific view of tokenization based on this integration stuff into into services, and and so my my answer is a bit biased by what we're doing. It's not what we're not doing is not the only thing, but as but as an extension of what you're saying, I think and we think that you know that there's an entire ex- experience around an airline ticket, right? The travel experience, the end to end experience, and an airline is an obvious brand to create better utility around those experiences, more seamless user experiences, remove friction from them, make it easier to connect up things, you know, make it easier for to get to my visa, to book my insurance, to do top up, all that sort of stuff. It's the same in car ownership. It's the same with telcos around a connected life experience. And so we think tokenization, if if it's sitting in the heart of those experiences and making it easier for a telco to issue a token that that a smart token that a customer can use to connect up their entire life and have much more seamless experiences. That's a whole next generation utility based experiences that are far better than lo- traditional loyalty programs. Give you know, give me a discounted coffee or a movie pass if you can make it easier for me to sign up for things or easy for me to redeem stuff, make the end to end experience better. That's that's where you're going to create you know mass user experiences where they don't, as exactly as you say, that they don't need to know about the tech. They just get an easier throw. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, you have helped FIFA World Cup to tokenize uh, the ticketing. And I would love to hear from your side, what was the experience like? How it was approached and what was the, what was the outcome? Was it only like for a small specific group of people or like how, how yeah, was, was that handled? Yeah, it was an experiment. So that, that was an experiment. It was all, all the way back in 2018. So we created a, and they were NFT tickets. So it was basically for, it was for the FIFA World Cup in 2018. It was with a partner that basically had VIP tickets. And what we did is we tokenized the ticket and we, we, we had a wallet called Alpha Wallet, which was the first mobile NFT wallet. We basically tokenized the ticket. There was a QR code scanner within the wallet. So you, you, your ticket was issued. It was dual issued as an NFT on chain that existed within your wallet. There was a QR code scanner. You could literally get in, get access to the gate, to the game via the NFT ticket in your wallet via the QR code scanner. You had the ability, if you wanted to, to sell the, sell the ticket on the, on the secondary market, all that sort of stuff. It was a very early, I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty innovative in terms of back in 2018 to be doing that. Um, but. It's probably today when we look at it, it's, you know, that, that ticket can open up a whole world of experiences outside the stadium around the event experience itself, how you get to the World Cup, how you book your hotel rooms, how you get travel, how you book an Uber, how you can get a more seamless end-to-end fan experience around the World Cup. But that's that's specifically what it was. Yeah, and like uh, we do interact with NFT ticketing quite a bit as well on our side. So that's why I wanted to ask about your experience on that. Is that something that you're still actively pursuing or you have kind of pivoted into focusing on other stuff? I mean, to a degree. So we, we, we've, we've done, we've ish, issued attestation, attestations of tickets for DEFCON 6 in Bogota, DevConnect in Amsterdam, Con in Montenegro. We've got about six events that we're supporting in the next six months, Shanghai Blockchain Week, East, East Singapore. And, and we're, we're, we're letting people, we're creating an off-chain token of the tickets. And that off-chain token has a, there's a, with this thing we stand up called permissionless perks. There's about 25 to 40 um, service providers that offer perks to the ticket holders 
and the ticket is again it's again it's registered against your email address it's stored in your web browser and then there's a marketplace of about 25 to 40 different web um, perk providers that you get perks based on your ticket as a token that anyone can supply a perk to you so that's that's how we're executing in in events and ticketing at the moment yeah, I'll have to look into a little deeper. Maybe that's sure. a separate discussion. But as we are wrapping things up here, I also wanted to tap your brain and ask about, you know, the branding perspective of things, because I know that a lot of your experience is also coming from the branding world. And how do you think the brands should position themselves in the Web3 space and what makes a killer Web3 brand? Mm. It's a good question. I mean, I've come at brand from a lot of different perspectives. I think my my prevailing view today is that you know brand brand is the best brands. You can have a top down brand, right, which is carried by its mission and its purpose and its values, and we're going to connect the world and and you know, um, and that's relevant to some brands. Um, but I think in technology, you know, brand is really a collection of product experiences, and so. What you deliver to your audience again and again and again that is consistent is is how your brand is what your brand's known for. So you can create a personality on top of that and you can tell a story on top of that, but at its core, authentic brands are based on their product collection of product experiences. So if you get the product right and you surprise and delight people through the product or you solve problems for them, right, then you have the basis for an amazing brand. But if you don't have that, then it's just then brand is vaporware like <laughs> lots of other things. Wow. I would I would say that from my standpoint, if you don't have the product right, it's an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. So definitely start with that. But no, it's, it's it's great to hear that it can it can actually be leading the the power of the brand, and that's something that is very very close to my heart. Uh, well, Brent, I know that you are uh, very very busy today, so I want to make sure that we let you go. But wanted to say that it was great chatting with you. Very insightful conversation. There, we have opened some some topics that I would like to definitely follow up on. But yeah, thank you so much for hopping on the show. And I wish you the best of success going forward. And hopefully we'll be able to chat again soon. Thanks, Levi. It was, it was terrific to chat. I really enjoyed it, mate. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please follow us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And we'll be thankful if you leave us a review. That's it for now. Till next time on the Next Level Show.